Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward, Rick Barry. Behind the line, they burn him again, and it's Barry. And now Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Warriors 24. I'm uh, your host, Rick Barry, with my co-host, the surf man himself, Cyrus Satchis. And Cyrus, we have a special guest today. How about introducing him to everyone? Yeah, so uh, our guest today, we don't do the guest thing that often, but when, uh, you know, one of the beat reporters for the Warriors and as part of one, one, an incredible legacy organization in the San Francisco Chronicle, my own former employer uh, is willing to come on. We welcome him. And Connor Latorno. He covers the Warriors for the Samsung Chronicle. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at con underscore cron. Uh, Connor, how you doing? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's been a, it's been a tough season for you after everything that's been going on, right? For the last five years, uh, everybody's kind of struggling a little bit right now. But, you know, uh, it happens to all the teams. Uh, the Warriors had an incredible run. And now this is, I, I guess they're doing a good job of, and I've said this earlier on, Connor, I don't know if you, you heard some of the earlier shows that Cyrus and I talked about it. I mean, th- this to me was a great opportunity to kind of fetter out and find out who can and can't play or who can be a part of a successful team. And certainly a lot of guys are getting a remarkable opportunity to try to show what they can do for this team. Yeah, the record might not reflect it, but I actually think the Warriors got a lot out of that 58-game absence from Steph. You know, they were able to – tinker with a bunch of different different lineups, bring in some new guys. Obviously, they had the big blockbuster trade with Minnesota, brought in Andrew Wiggins, who I think is going to be a really nice piece for them going forward. Um, you saw guys like Eric Paschal, Jordan Poole, Kai Bowman, Damian Lee emerge. And those are all guys that I think, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be franchise cornerstones necessarily, but they're guys that can be helpful in the rotation next season. And that was really the big goal was was grooming these young guys for roles next season. So from that standpoint, I think you got to look at this as a success so far. Yeah, well, I, I was very interesting to me, the roller coaster ride that some of these players are on. And I kept talking with Cyrus about this, that what you really want in players is you want consistency. And, you know, Pascal started out, was doing some great things. He had 30 points. Next thing you know, he gets six points or four points. And I think this is one, to me, been the biggest issue is to find out who is going to be able to get out there on a regular basis and perform at a fairly consistent, relatively high level. And that's something that I found has been missing. What did you evaluate with that? Yeah, I mean, that's to be expected to a certain degree with any young guy, with any rookie. Obviously, Eric came in with five years of college experience, counting the year that he sat out under transfer rules at Villanova. So he was a little bit more seasoned than the other rookies, but even he kind of hit that quote unquote rookie wall, you know, in late December, early January, where he just looked beat up. You know, he just looked a little bit out of it, um, wasn't cutting to the rim the way he had been earlier in the season. But I think he's powered through that. You've seen the past couple weeks, he's really had that nice ISO game that you saw early in the season. And he's had a couple dominant stretches just in the past couple games. So I think the Warriors feel good about you know, what he can bring them next season. And then, you know, guys like Jordan Poole, you know, someone like Jordan Poole, who obviously struggled mightily early in the season, had the worst shooting percentage in the NBA for a better part of the season, went down to the G League, came back, and he's been a completely 
different player the past month or two. Um, you know, he, he's been in that playmaking role. And I think what you're seeing from him is that he's much more than that catch and shoot guy that he was billed as coming out of college. You know, he had a defined role at Michigan and he can actually do a lot more than that. So the consistency is going to be a thing for him as well, but you know, he can do more for the Warriors than maybe they even, they even thought when they took him at 28 last June. Well, one of the things that I saw about him is the fact that, you know, expectations are very high and he seemed to be pressing, but I mean, it was just shot selection. I mean, he was taking shots. He thought he was Steph Curry, for God's sakes, from some of the distances he was shooting <laughs> the ball. I mean, in the percentages that you mentioned, I mean, they were just abysmal. And fortunately for him, he didn't let that impact him to the point where he's finally getting back some confidence. But I also think it's a situation where a lot of times what happens with players, and I know this for a fact because I'm watching it happen with my youngest son, and I watched it happen with my son Brent, is that they're not utilized and put into a situation to use the skills that they really have. It's like they kind of pigeonhole them and stick them into an area, and that's really not in their best interest. So I think that's kind of happened to pool a little bit. Would you agree? Oh, definitely, definitely. And he's, without, you know, talking ill of of Coach Beeline at at Michigan, he's basically said as much that, you know, I got to Michigan, they liked their point guard, they put me in that that catch-and-shoot role off the ball, even though I had played point guard my entire life, and I kind of fashioned myself a playmaker. And so, you know, he's a good enough shooter to get drafted, but I think the Warriors were really impressed in training camp and early in the season and practices just by – how creative and how uh, effective he can be with the ball in his hand. So, you know, if he can continue to establish himself as a secondary ball handler, that's going to be very helpful going into next season. And that could help, you know, dictate what they decide to do in free agency. Um, and that's really the value of, of these past couple of months to me, you know, when there's no stakes, when you're not fighting for a playoff berth, you can tinker with things like that. You can ex- you can test the limits of what guys are able to do and see things and learn things about them, and that can really help you going forward. Cyrus? Yes, sir. I, I, Connor, we're joined by Connor uh, Latorno of the San Francisco Chronicle here. You can follow him on Twitter at con underscore cron. First of all, I would, I would love to know what you would change your Twitter handle to if you stopped working for the San Francisco Chronicle. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't think that one through. Uh, <laughs> it's hopefully, all right. I don't leave anytime soon. Uh, a lot of people do that. But so I guess first things first, you know, uh, you know, you're considered one of the gatekeepers in terms of, in terms of being a journalist for a mainstream uh, legacy organization like the San Francisco Chronicle. You have incredible access to the team. Uh, as a journalist, how much do you focus your coverage on social media and maybe more specifically Twitter, given the adage NBA Twitter is a relatively real thing? I mean, it, it does have a tremendous impact in terms of the coverage we get. The players follow this stuff. How on Twitter are you and how much do you let that dictate your coverage and your content? Yeah, you know, for me, I got into this because I love telling stories. I love the human element of sports. I love getting at you know, what makes these, these guys and these teams tick. Um, so if you follow my coverage, you probably notice I have a lot of, you know, more human interest type pieces, pieces that get at the behind the scenes stuff, you know, the locker room dynamics and, and all things like that. Um, but so I never got into this thinking that I was going to have to necessarily deal a ton with social media or that was going to be a huge part of my job because that was never something I really cared about. You know, I was that guy who was late getting on Facebook, who was late getting on Instagram and all those things. <laughs> um, but it definitely is a real part of the job. And, 
you know, you have to, you have to track it. You have to be on it all the time. It's frustrating. Sometimes I feel like I live on my phone just because I don't want to miss anything, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to be late to anything. Um, So that's just, you know, part of the job, unfortunately, but for me, that's not like my biggest focus. You know, that's not why I do this. Uh, Naturally. So yeah, I I would understand that. And I'd recommend, I mean, you know, like, I'm not sure if you follow Rick and I on Twitter. I mean, Rick has broken two stories this year that no one else actually did. And I was kind of surprised that no other media picked up on that. Um, so for yourself I think and I others. I follow Rick on Twitter. Good. I, 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 would be, I would be idiotic not to because you're a legend. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I'm sure I do. I love it. Uh, and the other question I have for you, again, because you've been around this team, you are around this team a lot. You know, last year, this Kevin Durant thing was around the whole year. You know, there was a lot of grumblings from the outset of training camp that Durant was possibly ready to leave, that he was, there was a discontent there, that he wasn't satisfied being with the team. And, the, and my huge gripe with so many media members, I used to be in that locker room a lot more, and I'm not in, in there now to ask these questions, but I had a huge gripe about the media as a whole not simply going to Durant and asking him why he won't simply make a commitment to the Warriors for the year. Like for some reason he thought it was, but he did. I think he's, he, but I never saw that attribution anywhere. Like he literally came out and said he wants to play for the Warriors beyond this year. No, he never said that. So so that's my question. That was the whole thing was, but no, we went, we, I asked him that question multiple times and he just wouldn't give an answer. I guess um, the- he talked around it every single time and so I- it was no no that question was asked you know just because you don't see it on twitter you don't read about it doesn't mean we're not doing it you know we're you're not we're, you're not seeing it on twitter and you're not seeing it in the story because he's not giving us the answer you necessarily want but no we we talked to him about it um, i pulled him aside i remember in miami last year early in the season i talked to him probably for 20 minutes about his process and and why he was handling it the way he was. And he kind of took issue with some of my reporting and, and other people's reporting and how we were handling it. And he had, he took issue with the fact that I had called him sensitive and, and things like that. And we had a long back and forth, you know, as you probably know at this point, um, he's one of those star players that, that reads everything who's, who's extremely affected by what is out there. Um, and I think that's kind of held him back at times in his career. Connor, I would agree with you 100% on that, but I, I still can't figure out why in the world, if that's the way that he feels, does he understand what he's going to be under when he finally starts playing back in the New York metropolitan area? Seriously. Uh, no, I, I, I think, yeah, I think he is uh, a little naive when it comes to, to things like that. Obviously the Nets meeting contingent is not the same as the Knicks, but you know, when Kevin gets there, I'm sure it'll be in full force. Um, you know, my personal opinion, uh, just being around the New York media a little bit, is that it's not necessarily as intense as people would assume. Maybe maybe it's different than, than your days playing, and, but it's, I wouldn't say it's that different than, than it was in San Francisco. The reality is wherever Kevin goes, uh, he's going to have a ton of scrutiny just because he's one of the greatest NBA players of all time. And I don't think he's ever gotten comfortable with it, you know? And here he is, what, you know, 10, 10, 11, 12 years into the league, and he's still not fully at peace with 
the fact that that's just part of his reality. Yeah, well, he's going to he's going to be in for a rude awakening, I think. And here's the thing that disturbed me the most is that he's been on some shows. He was on with Stephen A and and Max and all. I, I was like flabbergasted that they didn't just really out let him off the hook to find out, hey, why did you leave to go? Why did you leave the Warriors? I know that the Draymond Green thing was a situation that came up a little bit, but he's never gave a all definitive right. answer as to why. And I don't, you know, and I say, hey, hey, go where you want to go. God bless you. I mean, hell, I was one of the guys that made that available for these guys to be able to do that. And, and right. I understand that totally. But the thing is, is that he never did answer why. I just would like to know why, because to me, it makes no logical sense based upon everything that you're on a team with a two-time MVP who was willing to go ahead and take a subservient role to have you on the team. You've won multiple championships. You were MVP a couple times, probably might've been MVP if he didn't get hurt in the last one. Mm-hmm. And, and you had so much going for you. You have incredible fans. You're moving into a new building. What more do you want? Why would you leave that over some, is it, it can't possibly have been totally incomplete. Well, maybe it could, I don't know, over the Draymond Green situation. It was not, you know, that was just part of it. Um, mm-hmm. That was, I know that's kind of become the narrative. Oh, he hated Draymond Zedley. That was just part of a much bigger issue. Um, you know the he, issue? The closest, you know the issue? The, the closest, the, yeah. I mean, the, the closest that he's come to talking publicly about it was, I think, on the Off the Smoke podcast with uh, right. Matt Barnes and yes. Stephen Jackson, where he basically said he felt alienated in the locker room. He felt like, he wasn't really a part of the team. He felt like the guys didn't fully embrace him. And just being in that locker room every day, you could definitely feel that on a day-to-day basis that it was everyone and then it was Kevin Durant. And I think Kevin looked at it like he like it wasn't his fault. He looked at it like he felt ostracized that they hadn't embraced him the way they should. And I didn't think that was necessarily fair. I think he kind of created that for himself mm-hmm. um, based off things he said and things – he did, but the the underlying reason, in my opinion, why he left the Warriors is because he wants to be known as the greatest player of his generation, and he knew that as long as he's on the same team as Stephen Curry, that's not going to happen. And I think it bothered him that even though he's as great as he is, this is always going to be Steph's team. And obviously, he knew that coming in. He knew, you know, Austin sensibly that that would be the case, but actually living it every day and knowing and feeling it every day around Steve and Bob Myers and all them, that Seth is the guy that really bothered him on a deep level. Hmm. And he just couldn't deal with it anymore. Ah, interesting. Well, I'm, I'm happy to have gotten that from you to get a little better perspective on it. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that basically his ego got in the way. Yeah. That, that's really what it comes down to. And, and, you know, Connor, I, I'm curious, too. Did you or anyone else, and, and you're right, Durant did call out, I think Ethan Strauss was the most notable media member that he called out publicly right. in terms of not appreciating or liking what was written about him. Uh, but did any of you folks ever approach him and simply tell him, hey, if you just make a public commitment to the Warriors beyond this year, all these questions go away. All this dissension I, goes yeah. away, you know, like why I don't, I, that's what I never understand. And maybe you just, you just said, maybe he's naive, but I've never understood why he simply just didn't lie. Just mislead. Just say you're coming back. That it would go away. Well, he, that would, in some ways that would be even worse if he had gotten up, you know, at media day before the season and said, I'm going to come back to the Warriors. And then he doesn't come back to the Warriors. The reality is he knew entering last season that he probably wasn't coming back to the Warriors. Yeah. And he could have, he definitely could have handled it better, but I don't mm-hmm. think 
the answer was to get up and publicly lie, you know, and I, I talked to him. I remember during that conversation I referenced in Miami, I basically said, why don't you just address this more straightforward? And, and he kind of talked around it and it was very clear to me, he's not addressing it because he knows he's leaving. Um, you know, and I think he could have done a better job handling it without lying, but you know, that's, that's the fundamental reason why he didn't come out and say I'm coming back because he knew he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I mean, players do it all the time. I mean, Kyrie Irving said he was going to come back to Boston, change his mind. Jimmy Butler said he wanted to return to Philly, change his mind. But by saying that those questions went away and that distraction went away for the season, deal with it in the off season. You know, I, I, I right. that's, that's why I thought it would have been good for him just to say that. So at least I think all- he, at, at the very least, he could have, given the Warriors a little bit of props, you know, he never, he never, he never complimented the Warriors ever. You know, he never, he never went out of his way to say, you know, this is a great situation. I'm really happy here. He could have at least done that. And that would have gone a long way. I think. I agree. I agree. Okay, well, that's all water under the bridge. He's not here. And, uh, so if you have some time, I'd love to be able to include you in some of the things that I wanted to talk to Cyrus about since I was away yeah. and didn't do a show last week. So I was down on the Amazon tripping over roots and hurting my ribcage. But other than that, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun catching peacock bass. And then, and then thanks to Apple, my phone went south. Tell me how this – okay, you figure this one out, Connor and Cyrus. I'm in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Uh, the first day I take a picture, I catch an 18-pound peacock bass. It's a spectacular picture. I'm so proud of it. It's one of my bucket list fish. I get up the next day, have my phone in my in my pocket. It's all charged up, ready to go, hopefully take some more pictures and catch some more big fish. We catch a fish. I bring it out to take a photo. And the message on my phone, it says, your phone has been disabled. Now, how in the world, if I have no service whatsoever, can they disable my phone in the middle of the Amazon jungle? And as it turns out, never be able to get it back on again. Oh. And so I lose the pictures of my bucket list fish, and I had to get a new phone when I got back to the States. Oh. So I was depressed, that's to say horrible. the least. Okay, so that's my <laughs> sob story for the it's day. Right. But let's- Rick, I'm guessing the, 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 what, what happened is, and this has happened with, if you have an iPhone, and this is what happened with me once, is... You accidentally, do you have to punch in a code to get into your phone? Rick? Uh, that's, no, it's, it's, it's face recognition. Oh, because I, I have to punch in a four-digit thing, and sometimes if my phone's in my pocket, it rubs, and it just starts like acting like the buttons are being pressed. And one time I got locked out for like an hour because some, my phone basically thought someone was trying to break into it. And I don't know if that's what happened in your case, but no, well, it's it's phone, it's recognition. But how in the world can they tell me that my phone has been disabled? I would say uh, anyway, and then not be able to get it back. So anyway, that's the end of that crazy story. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about the stuff here because what's been going on lately is what. And Cyrus knows I have been talking about this for decades, and the NBA ignores me, and we're back at it again. The MVP of the league situation again. And if they just listened to me and you'd have an MVP of the Western Conference, an MVP of the Eastern Conference, and I guess maybe it's because they want to have stories and controversy because then there is an easy decision to be made. It's pretty obvious who the MVPs are of each respective conference. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. Well, Rick, so what why, if, Rick, why not? You, why not do that? I mean, just from a business standpoint, it makes sense because now you get a sponsor to sponsor the Western Conference and a sponsor for the Eastern Conference, and then you have the overall MVP of the championship series. I mean, it makes life it makes it so much simpler. And how in the world can you have a possible opportunity to evaluate when there's no balanced schedule? 
Some of the teams, you only play the teams in the, in the other conference twice. I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever to have an MVP of the entire season and an unbalanced schedule. So, Connor, your thoughts? <laughs> it's just hard because I voted for MVP the past couple of years. It's hard because everyone has different criteria that they're going off. And so, you know, the, the MVP means something different to every single person that's voting. And so, you know, there, to me, there needs to be a little bit more uh, there needs to be a little bit more understanding of what the MVP needs to represent and what kind of the voting criteria for it should look like. So everyone can kind of try to at least, uh, you know, go by a certain set of parameters because well, I, I know for me, like winning matters a lot. And I know for other voters, that's not necessarily the case. Well, I, I, th- I think that's an excellent suggestion but it still comes down to having an MVP for overall season under the way that the league is set up with the schedule is insane. It's absolutely insane to yeah. do that. I don't understand why they want to do it. But I, they would, I, I like the idea of still having an overall league MVP and then mm-hmm. also having both conference MVPs. But, so but, you, can't, but you can't do it under – But you can't do it. I mean, you can't evaluate it if a guy's playing against better teams in the other conference and playing against them right. more times. How can you possibly say that it – I just don't see how you can do it. It's just really crazy, and it's so much easier just to do it in each of the conferences. And, hey, it's a nice thing. Guy gets so – I think I know who your MVP would be this season. Well, I mean, I can't – I mean, picking one over the other for the overall season, I just think it's it's a disservice to one of, you know, to one of the guys yeah. who should be the MVP of his conference. Well, Rick, let me ask you this. Do you, do you really think there's a debate about who the overall MVP is this Are year? Are you kidding me? Everything I've seen, everybody's talking about it, whether it should be LeBron or whether it should be uh, Giannis. Yeah, but yeah, but LeBron – I mean, uh, Rick, fuck everyone else. Like, in your opinion, is there a debate? Yes, there is. Really? Well, so why is LeBron in contention when he's not leading his team in any category except for assists. Hey, I'm telling you, every I, I, I've listened to, I've listened, I've read, I've seen things. Mm-hmm. Look, I see it, and people are talking about it, and people think it should be LeBron. I know. I, I, I don't. I, Connor, what's your take on this? I mean, do you think LeBron should even be considered? Given again, he doesn't lead his own team in any stat except for assists. How is he an MVP between, candidate? Between Anthony Davis and LeBron, I would take LeBron, but I, I do think that. It should be Giannis going yeah. going up and away. I mean, what his team has done at the end of the day, MVP is a regular season award, and what they've done record-wise with the talent he has around him is incredible. Um, and he's been just completely dominant. I, I definitely downgrade LeBron a little bit because he has another MVP caliber player on his roster, whereas right. the second best player on the Bucks is Chris Middleton, um, who is a good player, but he's not Anthony Davis. And so I would definitely give the nod to Giannis at this point. And I, yeah. I agree 100% with you doing it. But again, I, I do think if they had it under my format with one for the Western Conference, one for the Eastern Conference, I would pick LeBron. Because even though he's not leading in scoring, he's willing to defer. He's passing it off. I mean, he's getting the assist. He's willing to get – I mean, he's, he's putting up great numbers and playing at an extremely high level. I don't think there's any other player doing as much as he does for their team. Except Giannis. And you can make the argument that LeBron should be the MVP every year. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue with anyone who thinks LeBron should be the MVP. No, but I'm talking about um, Western Conference, of the Western Conference. Oh, easily. Yeah, he should. He would yeah. definitely be it in the Western yeah, Conference. That's yeah, okay, good. Not even debatable in my mind. All right. So now we'll go to the other one that's going on right now. And this would be, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, the, the rookie of the year. Mm. Talking about the two guys. I mean, you know, 
Miranda, I mean, it's, it's played out of his mind. And then, of course, Zion, he's come back, has played at an exceptionally high level. So your thoughts on, on that and why you would go with which one? I personally would go with John Morant, um, just solely based off the fact that he has played, what, 45 or something more games than Zion Williamson, more than half the season more. And, you know, if this was a season where there wasn't another clear MVP or rookie of the year caliber player, you know, if there wasn't, you know, if this was kind of like the year where Malcolm Brogdon won rookie of the year, then I can understand still giving it to Zion. But John Morant is a legitimate bona fide rookie of the year mm-hmm. caliber player and borderline all-star. And so I, I don't think you can not give it to him, uh, get, just given the fact that, you know, Zion hasn't played for – missed more than half the season. So what Cyrus, they, your thoughts. I want to well, hear I, your I, thoughts, Cyrus. I, I, uh, I think it – to me, it literally comes down to the very last game. I think if, the Pel- if, if Zion stays healthy – because if you look at the numbers, Zion is ahead of him in almost every important measurable. But uh, to me, wait till the end of the regular season. Give it to the, to the team that wins out and gets in the playoffs. So right now, yeah, I agree. Jaw deserves it. But I think if the Pelicans make a, a continue this resurgence and actually get into the playoffs, I would give strong consideration for Zion. I mean, you do have to take into consideration his impact on this game. And statistics do matter. I think that is why I don't think there's any debate between Giannis and LeBron. And it's driving me insane how many people think LeBron should even be considered for MVP. Uh, rookie of the year, yeah, I, I'm, with, I'm with Connor. Jaw has it right now, but, um, you know, if, if the Pelicans get in, I think you should consider Zion, despite the, le- the limited number of games he's played. Uh, do you mind if I bring this topic up well, real quick? Well, well hold, oh, on, ahead, hold that topic in your head, because yeah, I want to give my thoughts on this. Go for it. Sorry, Rick. Okay, so I would agree with Connor 100% on the fact that Moran has played so many more games and has been there for the entire season. You can't discount the fact that, Zion's playing at a level that's pretty spectacular for a, a young man coming into the league. And I would have to go against your one uh, premise, Cyrus, with regard to if they make the playoffs. Okay. There should be nothing. And everybody, when they get into this, you don't win by yourself. I mean, it's a matter of your teammates performing and doing things to help you win also. And so that win factor that Connor had brought up earlier shouldn't be as big a factor. You're looking at the overall performance and play of the individual. This is an individual award. Hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? Sorry about that. Go ahead. That's okay. No problem. So the bottom line is, is that I think that without question that uh, Morant should be the rookie of the year and just realize that, you know, Zion's probably going to be a a perennial all-star if he stays healthy and continues to play well. I mean, he hasn't even played. I think he's going to finally play his first back-to-back game, if I'm not mistaken, coming up here. He's been, uh, you know, taking the long very, very slowly, but he's playing at an exceptionally high level. He's an incredible physical specimen and has an incredible future in the game. And so hopefully he'll stay healthy because I love watching greatness and I hope he stays healthy and we get to see him do some remarkable things, but for him to get the rookie of the year based upon the number of games that he's played, the way he's been handled, I don't think he deserves to get it. Hmm. Yeah. I just, I just look at the stats. That's, that's my main thing for me. I I understand that the games played, but um, you know, Zion's leading in, in almost every category. I mean, he's averaging uh, 24 points a game. I know the sample size is smaller. I get it, but that's just me. I mean, this is all. I, I don't disagree that uh, Zion's the better player. And if he played well over half the games, if let's say he played 65 games this season, I'd say for sure, give it yeah. to him. But he's just play, he played less than half the season, and there's a, another worthy candidate. So I hear yeah. you. 
I, I would agree with that. And I, I say he's going to have, he's going to get plenty of recognition if he stays healthy and he's going to be a fabulous player for many years to come. And it's going to be fun to, to watch him perform because I look at him as like uh, a bigger version of LeBron in that he's a man child. He doesn't do the same things LeBron has as far as his ball handling abilities, passing and things of that nature. But he is another one of those guys that this is what I do. Connor, I know if you're aware of it, I put, this tag on players that played the game or are different than anybody that's ever played it as an anomaly that they're, they're, they're uh-huh. just different. Charles Barkley was an anomaly. Steph Curry is an anomaly. There's never been a guard playing that does the things that he does shoots from where he shoots. So players of that, of, of that nature, you know, magic Johnson was an anomaly. He's the first guy to come along with his size to do the things he did. And I, I would stick Zion in that category as well. Do you see the, the Charles Barkley comparisons there? I know he's been drawing a yeah, lot. Yeah, but of he's a lot bigger Charles than Charles. Charles. He's a lot bigger than Charles was. I mean, Charles was pretty amazing for his size. I don't know if people realize. I mean, Charles is not that tall. And for him to have done the things that he did and put up the numbers that he put up was pretty remarkable. Um, and, and Zion is a bigger version, I think, of Charles. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, Connor, I, I have a question for you. And Rick, obviously, I'd love your take on this as well. Um, you know, there's a small sect on our NBA Twitter. We talked about that earlier. I call these individuals a cult because they are in a minority. But the criticism is loud. And it has to do with Steve Kerr making some comments to ESPN about a week ago where he said, and I'll say this in quote, uh, this is literally what he said, Steph in many ways has dependent on those guys as sort of a giant security blanket unquote. And those guys refer to Durant and Andre Iguodala. Some fans consider that a slight towards Stephen Curry, that because Stephen Curry needs a security blanket, that Steve Kerr is basically diminishing his value. Is that something Steph, Stephen Curry should take as a slight or is this all blown out of proportion? I, I don't, I wouldn't take it as a slight. Um, to me, every great player you know, as as uh, Rick just mentioned a minute ago, I, I, you, I, regardless of how great you are, it's a team game. And so it always helps to have other great players around you. And, and if Steph, you know, let's say Steph had stayed healthy this whole season, do you think the Warriors would have done anything? They may, Maybe best case scenario would have been an eighth seed. And that just speaks to the lack of bodies around him. Now, mm-hmm. um, I, I totally understood what Steve was saying there. He was just saying that having – you know, someone who can do what Andre Godala did defensively and, and could, add, could add that other uh, layer of scoring that, that Kevin provided just made life easier on Steph. Now, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't take anything away from Steph. It just speaks to the greatness of Andre and Kevin. Mm-hmm. I agree. Rick, yeah, what do you think, Rick? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Connor totally. Yeah. I don't think it's a slight in any way whatsoever. Uh, you have certain certain things that are required to be able to make you feel comfortable. And it's, and it is having, you know, and it doesn't have to be great players. I mean, I was, I was thrilled to have the guys I had around me when we played in 75 and won the championship, you know, Clifford Ray. I mean, Clifford Ray is not some name that's going to pop up there and ask you one of the great centers in the history of the NBA, but you talk about one of the great teammates in the history of the NBA and somebody did all the dirty work and was uh, the, I think the unifying force of our team, really. I always say that Clifford was the hub. I was just one of the important spokes. Uh, he was the guy that kept mm. everybody together and did the things necessary. And I think that's important on any team because, again, this is a team. It's about doing things together and sacrificing. And, and 
and caring about what the team does and putting your ego in the freaking closet for you know six to seven or eight months, whatever it takes. And, and that's an important thing. And for Steph, I mean, give him credit. I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about Kevin Durant, is that he was willing to let Kevin Durant come in here and be the star of the team. Yeah, he did. He did. Connor, yeah. I, I'm and so, there's, a, there's a difference between being the star of the team and being the face of the franchise, right? Well, no, I understand that. Totally, You're right, absolutely. He's still the France, the right. franchise state, but my God, I mean, you, how many guys do you know who are a two-time MVP who would be happy to have a guy come over here because he really wants to win mm -hmm. and let a player come in there like that and be happy to have him here? If you're a mid-market business, you need the power of Dell Technologies. I'm sorry. That's sorry about that. Done. It's gone. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry about that, Rick. Go ahead. He's probably he's probably doing his prep for his uh, for his class tomorrow. No, 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 no. I'm opening up. No, this is just a stupid. Program. I know, I know. Sometimes up. you open things up and things pop yes. up. I know, and you don't want them to. I know. Yeah. I know. So yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. So anyway, I don't I don't think that that's any kind of a slight whatsoever. But it just shows you here a comment like that, and yet there's people out there who are trying to read things into it. And you know what it comes down to, and Connor, you're from the new school of of journalism and what have you. Just trust me. I mean, there's so many guys out there who are always looking for the sensational story that has nothing to do with the game at times. And then those are right. always looking to create the controversy. My thing is, is that you should not be creating the controversy, but man, oh man, if something does happen, you are certainly entitled to your opinion. You can take it inside out, turn it inside out, do whatever you want with it. If it was already initiated by someone else or it came out, but to go out there to try to create the controversy, which a lot of these guys do, uh, it's very disturbing to me to see that. That never was an issue before. In fact, the, the riders used to go out. I didn't drink and stuff, but the riders would go out and have beers with the guys after the game, and they never wrote about what happened off the court. <laughs> yeah, I think it speaks to just our the landscape of media and really society as a whole. We, we, we need constant stimulation. We need a constant storyline. I do think there's that temptation for a lot of Writers out there, you know, it's a slow news day. There's not a lot going on. I need to find something. Mm -hmm. um, and so they'll kind of make something. Um, it, for me, on those slow news days, I'll, I'll use those days to, you know, dig into the story of the 15th guy on the roster or someone in the front office. Or There's always things to write. It's just, um, you know, some, some reporters choose to spend that time trying to seek out, you know, that salacious story that maybe is going to, get them hits and get them that pay raise and get them to ESPN or what have you, you know? Yeah. I think that Cyrus, Cyrus, you had, a, I don't know if you can remember what your question was. You know, in my case, that was five minutes ago. I might not remember it, but in your case, you're <laughs> young. So you probably should remember what it was you were going to bring up when I interrupted you. Uh, young, relatively speaking. Uh, thank you. I, 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 well, I, First of all, Connor, I'm still just fixated and utterly envious of you for the fact that you get to vote for MVP and Rookie of the Year. I just can't get over that. And it, and it leads me to ask, and props, by the way, for having that power, it leads me to ask, how did you get to the position you're in? Uh, tell us about your background. How did you become the uh, reporter, the official Warriors reporter for the Samson Chronicle? Yeah, um, I'm from Portland, Oregon. I uh, grew up a huge Blazers fan. Um, and, you know, grew up reading the sports section of the paper there, the Oregonian, every every day. And um, I basically decided I wanted to be an NBA writer when I was 12 years old because uh, the local Blazers writer, Jason Quick there, he was really good at getting at the off-the-court stories, getting at what made players tick, you know, telling the reader the, the dynamics of the team, you know, the behind-the-locker-room-door type stuff. And I just, as a 12, 13-year-old 13 13 kid, thought that was the coolest thing. 
ever because I, you know, I, I saw the games, I saw what was happening on the court and I wanted to know more, you know, and I was always, always a very curious person in that way. So I went to uh, university of Maryland, studied journalism, was sports editor of my college paper. Um, and then I got a job back at the Oregonian actually uh, covering Oregon state beavers for two years. And then I came down to the Chronicle covered Cal for a year and then was promoted to the Warriors right after they signed Kevin Durant, actually. So oh. I'm uh, I'm in my fourth year now on the Warriors beat. Beautiful. Well, what timing that is. I, I'm curious. I'm, I have a question for both of you, if you don't mind me answering. Uh, in your in your guys' opinion, how calculated was the Warriors' decision on when to play Steph? And the reason why I ask that is I feel like almost every decision made by this organization is very calculated, and rightfully so. Any intelligent person would do that. Um, but the Warriors if they're smart and I think they are, they want that top three pick. They don't want to jeopardize their lottery pick positioning. How much consideration do you think went into the date for when Steph was going to come back, you know, in terms of determining what the record is going to be at the end of the year? I don't think much um, because I don't think they're worried about that. To be honest with you, hmm. um, you look at their record right now, they're several they have several fewer lot, fewer wins than the next worst team in the NBA. And Steph's going to be helpful, but it's not. I don't expect them to win more than 50% of their games the rest of the season. I don't expect them to suddenly become a juggernaut. I mean, this, he's surrounded by, you know, a bunch of guys who are still trying to prove themselves in the NBA. And so they feel confident that they'll be a bottom three team in the NBA, regardless of whether or not Steph returns tonight or, or last week. Um, so I don't think that was a huge deal. I think they just wanted to make sure he was 100% ready to go and that he had the necessary scrimmage time. You know, that he'd only had two light scrimmages until he went down to Santa Cruz on Monday. So, you know, they wanted him to get another high-level scrimmage in, which is the reason why he didn't return Sunday and is returning tonight. Hmm. Rick, you agree, you agree with that? Well, I, I don't know the inner workings of what they're thinking about, but all I can say is this, is that how long does it take a bone to heal? <laughs> I, it's more complicated than that, but I follow. I hear it just well, saying. I'm, I'm sorry, but I mean, how long does it take a bone to heal? <laughs> there uh, were other I, factors, though. He had yeah. nerve damage, um, you know, things like that. It was a pretty he complex he had, oh, he had some nerve damage. Well, yeah, and the thing is, first of all, you don't want to take any chances whatsoever with a right. player of his caliber, with the kind of money you're spending. Just think of the money the Warriors had to spend this year <laughs> and what they got in return for it from those players. I mean, you want to talk about a loss. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's got to go down to the annals of the league as one of the – that's uh, it's incredible. Two max-type players, and, you get, and you're going to get, what, maybe 20 games out of one of them? <laughs> Woo! Hello. You know, I mean, my God, I'd like to just take the interest on the money. You know, it's, it's, I can't even relate to that. That's incredible. But, they, but you can't take a chance, and it's going to be fun to see what they do. It's going to really be interesting to see, to me, what happens uh, when they do get the pick, what they do with that pick in order to try to make this a championship contending team for next season because there are some elements that are missing. And they certainly have an opportunity with that draft pick to, to maybe do something. And, and it's going to be fun to see what happens with that. Your thoughts so far, Connor, on, uh, on what's happening with the, uh, with, with the trade that was made and how well he's going to fit in with this team. Yeah, um, you know, I thought just when the trade was made, I thought it made a lot of sense. I know 
a lot of people kind of judge the, judge the trade solely based off of Andrew Wiggins, but there was there were other factors. You know, for one thing, they got under the luxury tax, which is significant. Um, they got under a guy like you know Jacob Evans, who was not going to be in their plans going forward. Um, and they got, um, you know, they to me it just made a lot of sense in several different ways. But the mm-hmm. Andrew Wiggins aspect of it uh, made a lot of sense because he solves one of their glaring needs, which is starting small forward. They haven't had, you know, they they haven't been able to fill the role that both Andre or uh, or Kevin Durant provided them. And I'm not saying he's going to be Kevin Durant, but I think he can kind of be a better version of what Harrison Barnes provided, you know, on that championship team in, in 2015. And he's shown that, you know, I know it's been a small sample size, but to me, he's been as good as you possibly could have expected. I think he's a guy who, as Steve Kerr said a while ago, was so criticized in Minnesota that he almost became underrated at a certain mm-hmm. point. People focused on all his negatives and overlooked all his positives. This is a guy who was a bona fide number one pick, who's a freak athlete, who is very skilled and actually has a better basketball IQ than a lot of people realize. And so what you've seen in this small sample size is he's actually taken good shots, which was not necessarily the case in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he's played high-level defense, which was also not – the case in Minnesota. So I think he's showing that he's one of those people who just needed to benefit from a change of scenery. And I think the Warriors know how to use him. And I think this is going to be a really nice fit for them for, for the long term. I 100% agree with you, Connor. Well, I think what he does is he, it's the same situation that when Kevin Durant was coming here, the statement that I made was that I really think that Kevin Durant is going to find that he's going to get more easy shots and the game is going to be so much more fun for him to get a chance to play the way that the Warriors play basketball. And I think the same is going to be true for Wiggins, that he's going to, and I'm sure he probably already is enjoying it, but he hasn't had the chance of enjoying it with the other players surrounding him who can do so many other things and create even more opportunities for him than with the group he's playing with right now. So I think he's going to be in for a very, very enjoyable season next year. Yeah, no, and I, and you also the thing I didn't mention is is you get a top four protected pick and a mm. really what's going to be a really strong 2021 draft. To me, that just was a, a great trade, and you also you know lose D'Angelo Russell, who although he's a great player in his own right, was not going to ever be a fit alongside Steph. They did Correct. not need to see another 20 games of them together to know that that wasn't going to work. So I think it was good that they got out in front of it. They did it before the deadline. And now Andrew Wiggins has 20 games to kind of get a feel with Steph heading before heading into their longest off season in eight years. Yeah, well, that's for sure. And, and, but the thing that even Cyrus and I were talking about and doing it is that it would have been foolhardy on their part to wait till after the season was over to do something when this opportunity presented itself to get Wiggins, because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, Russell, something could have happened to him injury wise or whatever. Yeah. And it would, it would have been just crazy for them not to make this move. And Rick, I think you understand this as well as anyone. Um, you know, people, the thing I kept hearing in my mentions, got emails about after the, the trade was why didn't they wait until the summer and try to get a, a better deal? You know, they, maybe they could have gotten a better deal if they waited. Well, you know, you're only as good as as how much other another team wants what you have. Yes. And no team in the NBA wanted D'Angelo Russell more than Minnesota. And so uh, Minnesota was always going to be the team that was most willing to give up assets, give up draft picks, give up a potential lottery pick and a good draft 
give up a good player like Andrew Wiggins than any other team because no one else was as committed to bringing D'Angelo Russell to their team as as Minnesota was. Right. I mean, leverage is important. And his stock was so high. I mean, Rick and I, it seems like we're all three in in complete agreement on that. Um, Yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. Connor, you've been amazing. Thank you. Rick, anything else? You can finish it up. Yeah, Connor, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Continued success to you and, uh, and have, uh, a, a, for you also a very, uh, enjoyable off season. <laughs> It'll be longer than one you've ever had. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so thank- much guys. Uh, happy to come on anytime. Keep, keep doing your thing. Thanks, yeah. Well, man. maybe I look forward to get a chance to say hello in person. I'll be, I'll actually be at the game, uh, on Tuesday. Oh, Oh, yeah, look for at sure. That'd be great. We've actually, I've actually, I don't know if you remember, I've actually interviewed you on the phone a couple of times. So it's nice yeah. to actually, you know, it'd be nice to meet you. In person, <laughs> okay. Sure. That'd be great. Uh, take care. Have a great weekend coming up. <laughs> Thanks Connor. Right, and, you so can, and, you can follow, and you can follow Connor on Twitter at uh, con underscore cron. The cron stands for the chronic. I'm totally kidding. Stands for San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I was going to say that you can keep the cron if, in that regard, but uh, if you ever leave that organization. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Connor. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, Rick. Thanks, Connor. Welcome back, yeah. by the way, from the Amazon. I missed you, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was uh, it was an interesting trip. If anybody's into bass fishing, especially, I would highly recommend that they do this. I think it's one of those experiences in life that if you can do it, uh, you should do it. The fish are absolutely magnificent. They attack just ferociously. Uh, they're fun to catch. They fight like crazy. And it's nothing like any bass that you've ever caught here in the United States, that's for sure. So, and it's it was a very very enjoyable experience. It really it really truly was. So, so with all this uh, with all this, I was thinking about you because of all this coronavirus stuff happening, it really exploded like right after you left. Was there like were you a little skeptical at airports and places like that? Was 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 there a lot of masks? I mean, what was that yeah, experience there were a bunch like? Bunch of masks that people had on. There's no question about it. But those masks really don't do much. The best thing for the mask when people wear the ones that aren't the really high quality ones that, that the, the physicians and all wear is that it helps to prevent you touching your face. I mean, it's said that people touch their face they don't realize it like 90 times a day, and that's yeah. how it gets transferred into. It has to go through your mouth or through your nose in order to get into your lungs, and so. You really want to you know, wash your hands a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, if you touch anything, just be very cautious with what you're doing. Uh, I, ha- I was on a very long conference call for over an hour uh, with an expert in the medical field uh, through the company that I do some investing with and my investment guy. And <laughs> they had this person on there just talking about this. And it was very enlightening. And it's not as critical as some people are making it. It's certainly a major concern. And they're watching it very cautiously right now. It's just basically, uh, it's worse than what influenza can do, but it's not up there with some of the other incredible uh, situations that we have with other viruses, but right. it needs to be watched very, very closely. And uh, my main concern about it is, is wanting to see what happens because my wife and I are scheduled to do something I'm looking forward to, to go on a cruise and go to the Greek Isles and wind up in Venice. And it's an area of a country that of the world that I've never really visited before. And right. I, I love history and to be able to go to the, the ruins in Athens and see all of the other stuff on the islands. I'm really looking forward to it and I'm hoping that the cruise doesn't get canceled, but I, I'm sure that if we do get to go and they say, yeah, we can go. My wife and I will be very cautious and follow all of the advice that was transfer or trans, you know, that I saw that was transferred over to me through this lecture that they had, or this, this, uh, the phone call that we had. 
And uh, we're going to take uh, all the precautions necessary. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully they'll get it under control. It's just a shame because unfortunately a lot more people are probably going to die from this virus. Yeah. A lot more people. And, and from what I've, what I've heard from, from uh, the, 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 the people who actually know what they're talking, the experts, I don't know why I was brain farting on that. The experts from what they've said is that just like repeating what you just mentioned a moment ago, worse than the flu. And that's enough to freak me out. I hate the flu. I don't want anything worse than that, but again, it hopefully won't kill you. Um, but it is not as contagious as the flu. So yeah, I hope you, you should still go. Screw it, right? You're oh, no, no, go, we're, right? We're, no, we're planning yeah. to go. I just figured, the, the, first of all, the cruise line's not going to go if there's a danger because the other countries or other things, if things are going on there, they're not going to let anybody be coming into the country on a right. cruise ship. I mean, that's just not going to happen. So we're just going to wait and see. Good friends of ours are supposed to go canceled out. And I, I, but that's their choice. They could do what they like to do. And they, and <laughs> so they won't be going. And then it cost them a lot of money to do it, to oh. cancel. Oh man, uh, that that I didn't understand. I mean, my heavens, that's so. Uh, so, so what was this? What was the Amazon like? Like, what, did you fly into Rio? Like, where'd you fly into? Here's it. We flew into Manaus, Manaus and, okay. and then from Manaus, it's an hour and twenty minute flight, and we land on a dirt runway in the middle of the Amazon jungle next wow. to a little village. So it was very interesting. We stay on little houseboats that were there. That the that the, you float around, you you stay on the houseboat. It's great, actually. It's good that I shrunk a little bit in my old age because I fit perfectly underneath <laughs> the shower in there, and uh, I can fit on the bed. It was nice for a mattress, and it's it was just delightful. It really was. The food was terrific, and I'll tell you, they love their rice and beans down there. It's like oh, every yeah. meal you got rice and beans. But <laughs> we had some amazing fish. I actually caught a piranha, and we actually I actually wow. had piranha soup. How does that taste? It was awesome. The way that the way, the way that she fixed it, the the, the camp manager's wife was the cook. It was delicious. In fact, I had it twice, and I didn't realize peacock bass is great. The fish was unbelievable. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was it was really terrific. Uh, I just I had a very good time. Met some really nice people and a bunch of guys from up in uh, Minneapolis uh, who were up there. My guys Stan and Bruce and uh, Stan, Bruce, John, and Jared, who was the uh, the son of uh, Stan, you know, real guy, nice guys from up there. And then I met a very interesting Asian couple who were there. Henry, who is a Japanese guy. They live in the Bay Area. They live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Henry and Charlene. Henry is Japanese and his wife is Chinese, which was kind of interesting. And some of the stories they had when she went home to tell her parents that she was marrying a Japanese, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, because there's some but, animosity between those two cultures from the war yeah, many years ago. But right? these yeah. guys get along great. They, they travel all over and do a lot of fly fishing all around the world and really nice people. So it was, it was a good experience. Part of the thing of doing that when I go fishing is just get you know, the people that you wind up meeting. It's always nice to meet new people and you never know. I actually have a lot of people who have become lifelong friends of mine that I've met, whether it was playing golf or fishing or what have you. Uh, and that's the beauty of life. Life is a series of adventures. True. It's, a, it's an opportunity to meet different people and you just never know who you're going to meet and what it could lead to. You're absolutely right. You know, Rick, so, I was, um, someone emailed me uh, I got a personal email. I never, I don't know who this individual is, but I'm not going to at the same time expose who they are. I don't want to, I don't want to dissuade people. I don't know how this person even found my personal email address, but the email was about our show. And apparently this person must be a huge fan of yours. I mean, he, he or she, I don't even know what the gender is, but they mentioned how much they love you, but then they criticized me and I deserve it. They criticized me because I was not familiar with your book that you published back in the 1970s, Con- Confessions of a Basketball Gypsy. Confessions of a Basketball Gypsy. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, was, I honestly was not familiar with this book, and that is my, it, that's on me, that's my naivety. Um, because all you, because you've talked about writing a new book for a long time, and I got all excited about that, and that made me think you've never really written anything previously. And, and yeah, sure enough, I looked it up, found your book on Amazon, 
Um, so I apologize for that. The, the, the critic who emailed me was correct. Tell us about that book. I started reading the reviews. I started reading the details of that. Like, it, this, so was this you basically explaining your decision for leaving the NBA for the ABA and, and all that? I mean, tell, yeah, what was the book about? Yeah, I, I talked about that, but I, I did something a little different. I let people write whatever they wanted to write about it. So it wasn't like I was there just telling my side of any kind of a story and people were able to, I didn't, I didn't edit and take out anything that somebody else wrote. And there mm-hmm. were a lot of different people who contributed to that. And, and here's the thing though, and this is the thing that really is probably most disturbing to me, is that, <laughs> uh-huh. no, not, not the book, but how people tend to forget that everybody changes in life. You're not yes. the same every year of your yes. life. And so to judge me based upon things that, and what's probably most disturbing, based upon things that other people read something about me. In fact, I just saw something the other day that somebody wrote a story about it and, and they brought up, well, even Bill Simmons said this and this guy, Ken Macker from the Warriors said, I didn't know Ken Macker. I, I met Ken Macker a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He's a friend of Franklin Muley, the owner of the team. Mm-hmm. And for him to come out and say something, all the, the players hated Rick. How could Ken Macker know? He's not in the locker room doing it. And yet people use that quote from this guy trying to show how everybody, all my teammates hated me and doing it. And it's very disturbing. I mean, I'm not saying the easiest guy in the world to have liked, but all I can say is, is that I think you'd be very fortunate if you had me as a friend. I think I'm a good person and I'm a good, and now I might've had shortcomings. I may have been. Who doesn't? uh, I mean, and, but that's what I'm saying. Everybody does. And, you're, yes. and you change through life. Yes. I mean, and Tom Weisskopf, I remember, said at one time when people were talking about him because he was kind of a, a controversial figure when he was playing golf on the pro tour. And they said, why is everybody still want to talk to me and refer to me back when I was in 30 or 40 years ago? Yeah. You know, why don't you just talk about who I am today? Because who I was when I was in my 20s and 30s, early 30s, what bearing does that have on who I am today? None or very little. I mean, people love dredging up the past. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why they do. I mean, this whole cancel culture you see a lot of, uh, some of this Me Too stuff. I mean, look, a lot of it is valid, but some of it is, I mean, if it's 30, 40 years ago, I mean, A, people change. B, how clearly can you remember that long ago? Um, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and I've seen a lot of this criticism from you. And it's, it's a great joy that I do this podcast with you. One of the many reasons is that I actually get to ask you to clarify these stories so you can prove a lot of these assholes wrong. You know, there's yeah, a lot of, you know, I don't worry about it because you can't change the past. Yeah. And I, I don't worry about trying. I can't make any changes over there. If I had to do it over again, would I do this things differently? Certainly I would, but I wouldn't to the point where I would change things to screw up the space-time continuum to use a little star trekky stuff here (laughs) because i wouldn't have the amazing wife that i have the incredible son Mm. that i have Mm. and the the really special wonderful people in my life that i have as friends Mm -hmm. that would not be the case if things had changed back then and i hadn't done some of the things that i did now the one thing that i probably would change if i were to do it in playing and and I and I would make that change. I would with my son Canyon. I would I would have kept him playing point guard like he did when he was younger. And if I were playing and coming up now and had to do it over again, I'd be a point guard. You mentioned that because you because you're handling the ball and you get to control your own. Thank fate. you. I can control yeah. the destiny of the team even. And and the fact is is that I was I was quick enough to play that position. I would just have had to work on my ball handling skills, which just would have required spending time in a gym and working mm-hmm. on all kinds of drills and learning how to do that because I had the other things. I could see the floor. I could make. I would. I think I could have been a very good 
because I really got more enjoyment out of making a really good pass to a teammate than I did scoring a basket myself. Yeah. You know, Rick, uh, in that email I mentioned ago that was critical of me, they, they, they love you. I, and I, I don't want to mention their name because who knows if they don't want to be public, but um, they mentioned they love you. And they asked me if I could at least ask you questions each podcast related to your past so we can go down Glory Road, right? You have a, you have a shitload of fans out there who love hearing this stuff. Here's a question for you, if you don't mind answering this, and you obviously don't have to. Um, the topic of MVP came up earlier with Connor, and you know, and I've been talking about this on online a little bit, simply because I really do not think LeBron James should be in the conversation this year. I, I understand the Lakers have a great record, but he also has a, a teammate in Anthony Davis who is doing better than him statistically in nearly every measure possible, and it brought assists, yeah, yeah, except for assists, right? So. Um, but it brought up, you know, it made me do some research in terms of the most egregious MVPs ever handed out, meaning the media or maybe the players messing up in the vote, right? And I look back in history, I thought Steve Nash's MVPs were very questionable. I thought Shaq and Kobe each deserved one over him. I thought Carl uh, Malone in 97 was egregious because he won it over Michael Jordan, even though the, the numbers didn't back that up. I thought my, Magic Johnson in 1990 was egregious. But the worst one when I was doing my research, and I still cannot believe this and I would love your feedback, is Bob McAdoo in 1975 winning the award over you. You finished fourth, if I'm not mistaken. What, what happened? How did well, they get that so wrong? Well, because well, well, it's because it was, they finally changed it because they let the players vote. Okay. And the players... And players I, get personalities committed. Yes. I went out there to kick your ass when I played against you, so I didn't have a lot of friends, and I didn't want you to be my friend because I wanted to beat you as badly as I could. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it just shows you how ludicrous it was. I mean, I had a great season. And, Amazing. And Amazing. here's the thing. Here's the thing that it, it would have been nice to have had it in the resume, but who, in the scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But to me, I was the MVP because they had the vote for the first team all pro. And I was the only unanimous choice by mm. the writers. And if the writers had voted, there's no question in my mind that I would have won the MVP. None. None. It's insane to me you didn't get it. I mean, by any measure, you deserved it. And I don't yeah, understand. And, but the thing is, is when people go to, to, to do these evaluations yeah. of you know who ranks where, what, what, the fact that I wasn't an MVP of the league, a lot of people say that, you know, well, hey, you got this guy. He gets more credit because he was a league MVP. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, because I didn't get that vote the way it was turned out. I mean, that has an impact on some of the people, as I say. And then championships is another one. Well, as I said, you don't win, if you, you don't win by yourself. If your teammates don't get the job done for it, you're not going to be. It's because you're lucky enough to be on a team with some really great players and you win a lot of championships. All of a sudden, that makes you a better player than someone else at that position <laughs> yeah i'm with you so anyway it's it, but it's all subjective and all as i say i don't I, I i i don't worry about those things it's not going to be a life changer and stuff for me i know what i did i know who i am as a person um i would certainly change very few things in my life that i've done with i really change and the one thing i know is that i never intentionally went out and did anything to hurt someone uh or take advantage of someone good because I was brought up properly. My parents instilled some good values in me, and I try to do that in my children. And, and I think that they've all conducted themselves in a way that's made me very proud as a, as a parent. And that's what you want as a parent. And so uh, 
I'm, I'm pleased with, with who I am and you know, I'll just continue to enjoy life as much as possible. Hopefully I'll be around. People ask me, they said, how you doing? In fact, one of the guys asked me, he laughed crazy. One of the athletes, I was just at a charity event for, uh, for Archie Griffin and uh, ran into Clark Kellogg. And so Clark said, how you doing? I says, Clark, I'm getting up every day and pissing a lot of people off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. I so saw, anyway, I mean, you got the, look, you got the championship. You got the finals MVP and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I've never heard anyone uh, disparage you or criticize you for the lack of championships that even though it was, it was, it was one, one is enough. I mean, you should know, have like, been two. Yeah. Should have been two, but it should have been two. I mean, I'm so disappointed that we went back the next to back year. That, yeah. That next year. I mean, it was, Oh God. But you was, still got the one. And, and again, yeah. that MVP award, I mean, a perfect example of where the players could butcher this back in 2015, when Stephen Curry won his first MVP, the players uh, debuted their own inaugural player awards and the players voted James Harden MVP when Stephen Curry was the obvious selection. So uh, yeah, that's why I'm trying to tell you when you get, you can't, you can, that's why it was smart for the league to do it. Unfortunately, I suffered because of it, but they were smart to realize. And I think that may have been the eye opener to them because I think they realized (laughs) when they saw that I was the only unanimous choice by all the writers and I come in fourth. That's ridiculous. They were saying, okay, we got to get this out of the hands of the players. And that was a smart thing to do because personalities come into it and they're not going to look at it uh, as closely as, as, as the writers. Well, and even the writers can have some of that as well but it's not going to be anywhere near as blatant as it is when you allow the players to make <laughs> No, you're right, because I think Kobe Bryant was a victim of that too, right? Kobe Bryant that was such a strong competitor. You remind me, you two remind me, I see a lot of similarities with you two in that you cared about winning. You cared about greatness. And that does not mean you need to have a soft, gentle personality, but that sometimes rubs people the wrong way. And well, I think here's, the, here's the problem is that people see the way you conduct yourself when you're on the court playing. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very uh, intense, mm-hmm. uh, would probably be a good word to choose it, and, and demonstrative and what have you. But I find myself even sometimes doing it and I catch myself because I'm, I've been the recipient <laughs> of, of this type of behavior on people's part is that they then look at me and think of Rick Barry, the person, yes, based upon what they see as Rick Barry, the athlete, performing and playing in an unreal environment. And so it's really not fair for you as a fan to evaluate someone and think of them as the person away from their sport. Mm-hmm. Until you have an opportunity to be around them and see them in that environment, you should never make an opinion about them in that part of their life. I agree. I'm with you, Rick. And with that, I will say goodbye. <laughs> hey, before and... we go, before we go, I want to first say welcome back. Oh, you're not putting me on the 24 second clock today. I could, I could. I mean, we kind of we had a guess. So, uh, you want a 24 second one? I could. I have one for you. Yeah, why not? Do you want to go on there real quick? Okay, here's a 24 second uh, shot clock question. You've mentioned previously you don't like ranking all time greats overall. You like to rank them by position. So, my question for for you in 24 seconds: Who is the greatest small forward of all time, and why? Well, a lot of people would probably say it was uh, Larry Bird. Uh, Elgin Baylor would be in the conversation, Dr. J. But I think that you have to, uh, if you're realistic and you understand and know the game, it has to be LeBron James. The guy is phenomenal. He's definitely an anomaly. And my vote would go to LeBron James, hands down. Beautiful. Thank you so much, sir. You can follow Rick. Uh, oh, by the way, I posted the picture you messaged me on uh, our show's official Twitter account. That's at Warriors24Pod. 
you can see Rick with one of those beautiful bass that he caught down in the Amazon. Uh, and you could, and, but, oh, we've got to mention cameo.com if you want a personalized yeah. message from Rick Barry. Um, how's that going? Do you get, do you get frequent solicitations? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, you know, every once in a while, somebody's nice. asking for something, which is fun and happy to do that. And then the biggest disappointment I'll have to say before we go is that, Oh my gosh, my son Canyon gets chosen for the USA Basketball 3X3 yes. qualifying team to go to Indy to perform. He's down with the guys and they're working out down in LA doing something and word comes back that they've postponed the qualifying tournament. Oh, because he was so bummed out because of the you know, mm, norovirus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I'm just very happy for him that he was had a chance to be chosen for that team and we'll just have to wait and see what's going to come come of that it's an honor yeah and, and you can follow rick barry on on all social media platforms or rick 24 barry special thanks again to connor latorno of the san francisco chronicle for, chronicle for coming on you could follow him on twitter at con underscore cron the second cron is c-h-r-o-n you can follow me on twitter at dog surf roadshow and our show is at warriors 24 pod rick always a pleasure sir yeah enjoy it everybody have a good time depending upon i guess when you listen to the show if you're listening to the show and it's before the weekend have a wonderful weekend if it's during the weekend enjoy your weekend and if it's the beginning part of next week we'll talk to you next week sometime so god bless to you and your family thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.